What is it, Martin? A reminder that the BBC interview with the Duke of Windsor is coming up soon. Now, we understand the Duke is no longer in the best of health. It might be worth visiting when you go to Paris. Certainly not. Go on, Martin. It's just a slight concern that if the BBC interview were to go down well, following the successful visit of Emperor Hirohito, the question might be asked, if the Japanese make the effort to visit him, why will his own family not? Because he didn't cause them offence. He didn't abdicate the Japanese throne or, or, or kill the Emperor's father. For the last time, no. That man is shame. Like the stench of livestock. Sir? <clears throat> it seeps into the woodwork and never goes away. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this is the official podcast for the third season of the Netflix original series, The Crown. Taking you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the talented people involved and diving deep into the stories. Today we're talking about episode eight, titled Dangling Man, written by David Hancock and Peter Morgan. In his 1944 book, Dangling Man, American author Saul Bellow describes a man who is waiting to be drafted into the army. Whilst he faces death in World War II, he believes that this is the only way to give meaning to his life. In this episode of The Crown, Prince Charles likens himself to the character as he describes what it's like waiting to become king whilst at dinner with his new love, Camilla Shand. At the same time, the dying Duke of Windsor contemplates his life's meaning, having given up the crown in 1936, choosing love over duty. We'll be talking in depth about the events in this episode, so if you haven't watched it yet, we suggest you do so now or very soon. Coming up later, we'll meet Erin Doherty, who plays Princess Anne in The Crown. I've never played anyone like her before in my life, mm. and she's taught me so much about the woman I want to be. She's genuinely, I think, just made me a better person. We'll also hear from costume designer Amy Roberts. So my little trick is to look and look and look at all those people and then put it all away mm. and just do your own thing with it. But first, I talked with Sam Donovan, who directed episode eight and nine of season three of The Crown. I asked him about working with acting royalty Geraldine Chaplin and Derek Jacobi to portray the elderly Duke and Duchess of Windsor in Dangling Man. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Oh. I worked with him um, a few years ago on a, a show called Last Tango in Halifax, so I'd, mm. we'd already had an experience of working together. And when I knew he was casting, I was just like, this is, yeah, an absolute dream. And it's a different situation we see them in as opposed to when we, you know, back in seasons one and two in yeah. terms of this this old couple who almost live in this museum of the crown in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just kind of extraordinary to see them how they are and, and um, Geraldine Chaplin as well. Is... Yeah, well, Geraldine Ch Chaplin was wonderful. We put a list together of people to play Wallace and uh, Geraldine was top of our list. So she lives in Switzerland and she flew over to us in London to have a meet and she turned up with these big, chunky trainers on, these skin-tight leather uh, trousers, <laughs> this really funky, colourful um, bomber jacket, a baseball cap and big dark glasses. I mean, she looked like something out of uh, out of salt and pepper, you know. <laughs> 
the, literally the, the coolest 75-year-old you've ever met in your entire life and carried it with such confidence and really didn't care. And then when we sat down to chat with her, she was, yeah, she really lovely and um, understood the character. And, yeah. um, you know, and she's kind of American royalty, you know, yeah. with her father being Charlie Chaplin. She's, um, she has that. And, and also she spent a lot of time in France, you know, uh, which is where the Windsors ended up after the abdication. Yeah. So it felt like she understood the world and understood that character. We must throw a party. Our greatest ever party. And concentrate only on happy things. To that end, let's cancel the Japanese emperor. You're a veto. No, we can't do that. No, too much planning has gone into it. Besides, it may be my only remaining opportunity to restore my reputation. Our oh, reputation is an idle and most false imposition of God without merit and lost without deserving. The Duke of Windsor has a really important role almost within this episode where he's almost like a mediator between Charles and the Queen. You know, it's known that him and Charles wrote to each other. Well, they're actually very similar characters, really. I mean, they, and this is, I think, what the threat was for the Queen, but, you know, he was very much a free thinker. He was curious. He was slightly rebellious. And at the end of the day, he put love before duty. He put love before the Crown. And I think the the thing with the Queen was she kind of had to give her permission for Charles to to meet him because how often do you get to meet a former Prince of Wales and a former king? Yeah. You know, any advice that, that the king in waiting can get from somebody that's been through it, he should take. We were just watching some real footage of of the Duke and Duchess and you know, I think it's only a few years before he passed away. Mm. These interviews that the BBC did yeah. that are up on online and stuff, and it's mm. incredible to watch. And yeah. You almost even the way they sit, they can't. It's like they can't get close enough to each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They need. To, there's, there's almost even just the angles of their bodies are constantly directed towards yeah, each we, other. Yeah, we, we looked at that video, even though we've it's not written word for word. You know, Peter's done his his own version of it for the for the good of the story yeah. that we're telling. We did look at the body language with Geraldine and and Derek. You know, we watched all those interviews together and looked how she would reach over to him and he would touch her and the big comforting moments and you know this just longing look from her all the time as he's as he's speaking and he's opening up about how he feels you know it's beautifully beautifully done everybody wants to know how much of what's in the crown is true yeah and the way that peter writes it it's like you believe everything because it's because it's within the confines of the stuff that we already know yeah and particularly i think in episode eight that meeting with the queen and the duke Yes. Which yeah. happened, but we don't know what was said. We don't know what was said. We can only guess what was said. I hope they said what you said. I hope they said what we said as well. And um, that The crown always falls, it finds its way to the right to head. To the right head. And it, what and a it, line. I know, and it, and it does. It, you know, he wasn't right to be to be king. He's, you know, at that time when he abdicated, you know, we were about to go into war and they needed a strong, sensible head of state, which they got with the brother you know yeah. um, so it does always find its way to the right head and when we were shooting that scene Derek's performance in that I mean Derek just doesn't hold back even in you know director's rehearsal yeah. uh, never mind when we're turning over and these was one of these moments where Olivia really had to f- f- 
wipe back the tears, yeah. you know. Yeah. And all, and then we did a crew show afterwards, which is basically where everybody comes in and watches the scene, and then we tell everyone what we're, what we're kind of into for the for the rest of the day. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So, so kind of how it works is is that we have director's rehearsal first, which is basically me, the DOP, the first AD, and uh, the script supervisor, and we will block the scene, rehearse, block the scene. Then I'll talk with the DOP about um, what angles we're gonna we're gonna shoot, how we're gonna cover the scene, essentially how we we map it out from a visual storytelling yeah. point of view. We then talk to the first AD to make sure we've got enough time to do what we want to do. <laughs> yeah. And if we don't, then we figure something else out quite quickly. <laughs> and that can be either changing the shots or asking the actors to change the blocking a little mm. bit. And then we do what's called a, a crew show, which is which is where then everybody piles in the room. Everyone's kind of squashed in corners. I mean, on The Crown, it's not so bad because the rooms are generally massive and there's room <laughs> yeah. for everybody. Um, but we all kind of squeeze in and, and watch the, you know, and, and watch the, um, the the scene. And there was not a dry eye in the house with that rehearsal. I mean, the way Derek coughs and splutters and and, and really struggles throughout that scene and you knew that this was going to be the last ever meeting between yeah. the two of them and the regret and in a weird way the the respect that they have for each other was um yeah was was just breathtaking and and then there's that that moment as well when which we know happened as well is when he actually died and his dog jumped off the yeah, bed black, that's extraordinary yeah black diamond the pug wallace knew that he'd passed when the dog jumped off the bed the animal's sixth sense you know wow. um it was really important for us to kind of get that in and use that as a as a visual metaphor I underestimated you. <coughs> we all did. But the crown always finds its way to the right head. My father, my brother, you, and, and one day, God willing, your son. You don't think he's up to it? I never said anything of the sort. But you think it. I can read you every bit as well as you can read me. And I know why you think it. You can often appear weak, indecisive. But with the right woman by his side, I say he'll make a good king. And his thoughts have already turned to the matter. We are introduced to this dilemma then, this love dilemma between Charles and Camilla before we get to Diana, you know. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like going back to fact check about things yeah. as well, which is I extraordinary. Mean, I mean, a lot of people about. don't know about the fact that those two are seeing each other before Diana was on the scene, mm. you know. I think everybody thinks that Camilla was trying to snaffle. Femme fatale. Yeah, <laughs> and to, because she really wanted to become queen. Mm. And that is not the truth at all. I, I think Camilla's thought of being queen at, at the time was the last thing she wanted. You know, she was a party girl and she liked to go out and have fun and was into her country pursuits and actually was happiest when she was at a country home, pottering about in the garden, riding horses. Watching and the polo. Watching the polo and, and having a G&T, you know. <laughs> That was one of your first things you shot, wasn't it, Polo? So we had. To, so I was supposed to start prep, I think, in October, and they they called me in 
earlier um, to shoot the polo match. So so that was quite a challenge because because we had to have Josh O'Connor looking like he could um, play polo. Can he? He trained very, very well. I mean, he had quite a lot of sessions with the polo players. He couldn't ride a horse before. so he felt, Not even ride a horse? No, wow. Never even been on a horse, I don't think. so. It's he, like hockey on a horse, isn't it's it? Like, it's exactly like hockey okay. on a horse. Yeah. And actually he was okay in the end. Andy Buchan, who plays Andrew Parker Bowles, on the other hand, had just had a baby. His wife had just had a baby. So he's that busy looking after the kids, looking after newborn. Yeah. And was just not in any kind of state to be learning how to play polo. So he, he, he tried, but he just wasn't at the level that we kind of need him to be to, yeah. to make him look like he's going fast. So the clever people at the horse company have got a a, a horse that is a, cent, a fake horse that's on a quad bike. This is amazing. So, you, yeah. so, the, so Andy was sat on this horse and they had to change the hair for it as well because uh, polo ponies have different type of hair. So there's a mad kind of panic getting this getting this horse kind of dressed properly. And then as as the uh, quad bike is going along, the horse is kind of moving up and down as if as if he's as if he's riding it. So we could get all our close up coverage on, on Andrew, and uh, we could get all our close up coverage on Josh, who was doing the horse for real. But they couldn't play it at, at a quick speed, which we needed. So we got good doubles in. But I just watched I, Tonya, where they'd done all Margot Robbie's face replacement for the ice skating. Yeah. So I said to Ben and Reese, our VFX guys, what are the chances of, you know, in our big wide shots and mid shots, can we, you know, we're going to be able to replace the faces? Face yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can't see any other way how we can sell this scene without yeah. without your help and... Anyway, after a bit of head scratching and research, they yeah they did it. And they, oh, amazing! And they, and, they, and they pulled it off. Yeah, and it, it works really well. And also, you know, setting up Camilla for the first time. Come on, sir! A tussle for possession now. Royal Highness, sir, you can do it. <laughs> yes, it's Windsor Park. Windsor Park pushing up once more. So apparently, Emerald. Loved series one of The Crown yeah. and got in touch with, or agent got in touch with Nina and Robert, the casting directors, and said, if Camilla ever comes up... No way. I absolutely adore Camilla and I would love to be, I would love to, you know, be be in the room for it. So we, we obviously, you know, we cast, wow. we, we auditioned a lot a lot of people and yeah. did chemistry tests with Josh and yeah. all that and slowly but surely uh, Emerald worked her way it. to the top. Because yeah. Yeah. it's wonderful because we also get to see this side of Charles as well, this kind of practical joker mm. side of it, well, this really playful side. It's really playful and I think that's why they fell in love. They shared the same sense of humour. Yeah. They were really into the goons, they were really into practical jokes um camilla apparently has got quite um a filthy mouth with her jokes which <laughs> compared to the the straight jacket that, uh, that charles is usually in in those kind of quite stuffy environments to have someone like camilla who just tells it how it is and is quite rude and coarse and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, hilarious and witty all at the same time is, is was just an absolute delight for charles i think how am i going to be able to persuade you to have dinner with me is you a royal decree? I can't do that. I'm not king. Yet? Yes. Then just say please. <laughs> please. There are many hugely talented creators behind what we see on screen in The Crown and most of them are based at Elstree Studios, which is where the custom-made sets and carefully sourced props are housed. It's also home to the impressive costume department, where I was lucky enough to spend some time with costume designer Amy Roberts. 
Amy. Thank you for being here to talk to us about your wonderful world of costume. I think if I had to choose one department to spend my time in, it would be going back to your costume department because I had the absolute joy of spending a little bit of time walking about. It's it's my favourite. And all those terrific girls <gasps> that work in there. How much of a team do you have? What's your... Well, the regular team that are making all pretty much all the costumes that you see, the Queen, Margaret everybody's made it's a kind of smaller roles that you'll source or get made outside but those girls are making all that so every time you see our major character female characters it's literally made from scratch with season three at what point did you start working on this season and how did you start Probably started about three months before we actually, our first shoot date, which sounds like a lot of time. You kind of wanted double that. So I started by endless research, Mm. because you do have with the royals, which is a gift and also a worry, Mm. so much visual reference. So my little plan, trick, is to look and look and look at all those people and then put it all away Mm -hmm. and just do your own thing with it. And hopefully you've got maybe the essence of the Queen or Margaret. Otherwise, I just feel we're not bringing anything fresh and new to it. And there are moments where I think you need to recreate the look, like the Queen Abavan or... A royal wedding or the jubilee. But even with that, I think it's just like a, a nod to it. Yeah. You have to think about the actor as well. Totally. In terms yes. of it being, you know, it, it almost being tools for them exactly. to find the character and yeah. find their performance. Really, yeah. Anyway. yeah, just because the Queen looks great in orange doesn't mean to say Olivia Coleman <laughs> looks great in orange. You don't, it's yeah. as simple as that, really. Yeah. It's just finding your way along with the actors, I think. And a wonderful opportunity as well to explore characters over a, a time, Absolutely. a big time period. Completely. Season one and two, you had that, which was done so brilliantly by the two designers on that. But it was a kind of war, post-war, that palette, yeah. which is always slightly more sombre. And then suddenly I am got the job of the 60s, which, all, all right, it's a sort of subtler version than Carnaby Street, but <laughs> the colours are there. I was very struck by, when I did my research, that the pinks and orange and pastels and mm-hmm. were so, so different. And I think, for me, like a lot of designers, probably it's all about colour. It's a huge project... Um, so many of the characters, like all our makes, are, they're like little dolls almost. And that the other layer of people, like your mums at Abavan mm-hmm. and politicians or the smaller people in the yeah. story, the staff actually, the palace, yeah. yeah, are as valuable and as important mm. and maybe... I, maybe I quite like doing them a bit better, probably. That's interesting. Why I do you like think that is? 
Because doing Margaret or the Queen, it's just lovely fabrics. It's great. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's, I don't know how deeply you get into it. Whereas Alice or, yeah, an Aberfan mum, that's, you've got to get that right. Otherwise you've let let them down, haven't you? Yeah, totally. But it's weird, isn't it? I've only just thought about that, the levels of all the characters in The Crown. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because there are so many big female characters in in this, you know, family drama. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about when you're approaching dressing the men and looking at the design of the male costumes, is it harder or is it easier than than the women because like you say with margaret you kind of know where you can go with it i guess yeah. but with the men yeah. you're slightly more restricted and yeah what and and i i like men's clothes very much in a way you feel with men they have that uniform don't they have their suits their beautiful impeccable suits which again have all been made charles slightly old-fashioned isn't he <laughs> um but it's even just you saying you know charles in the way that his suit's designed is slightly yeah. old-fashioned to reflect. Yes. That's a real subtlety, but it's yeah. really important that, yeah. you know, that it's those subtleties, yeah. I think, that can make a really powerful impact. I hope so. And little things, like just for Josh, when he goes to Wales, and we found an amazing tie with daffodils on. Again, you probably won't see that, but so we, he wore the daffodil yeah. tie when he was in <laughs> Wales, you wow. know? Yeah. Yeah. I have to look back and have a look at that. So little things, little secret things, I think, are nice, you know. But that's the brilliant thing about it, is how enormous this project is, but how intimate and how personal the performances and the emotions that you have as a viewer to them, like Geraldine Chaplin, who plays Wallace Simpson. Geraldine is this delicate, tiny little creature. And... Of course, she's a very fine actress and she will embody a Wallace, but in a different way. Do you, I guess there's an element as well of even once you've fitted and the, you know, the, the costume is perfect for, for that moment, for that scene, once they get on set and there may well still be adjustments to be made to things or is it once they're on set, that's it kind of like it's locked It's kind down. of that's it, that's quite a story because one of her dresses was going to be where she lies on the bed with him. Yeah. And I'd done a sleeve, which was like a a dragon's fin, like that. And I, in my head, had imagined she would put her arm up like around his head so you would see this amazing shape of the sleeve all (laughs) pleated and it would look amazing and the light and everything. Well, that never happened. So I was very kind of cross about it <laughs> and said to Sam that he was missing a trick Sam being the director missing a trick yeah. he just looked at me and laughed <laughs> wasn't about my sleeve at all so you have to stop it and not be indulgent sometimes you yeah. know it's incredible to think how much of it is made though and what happens to it after oh now this is amazing because most jobs you know you it makes me laugh, the angst and worry you put into a costume. And then it, it's either, I don't know what happens to it, it either goes sold to a costume house and ends up in the fifth person in the tenth row in a big film. But with The Crown, they're all stored and they go on display 
in museums and exhibitions. So what's so brilliant? Because the workroom girls on my episodes, it's couture standard. So their work will be seen by loads of people. That's amazing. Close up. All SIDS buttons and fabrics and it's all going to get another life, which is so rare. Another character that I absolutely love in season three and I'm really excited to see where that goes is, is Anne. Yes, and she's cool, Doherty. isn't she? She's great. But again, it's almost, I feel like I've learned more about Anne in season three of The Crown than I knew about her yes. as a person. It's yeah. a wonderful exploration of her as a person. Yeah, of all the royal women... She's the surprise, isn't she? Yeah. Both what she wears, jeans, pea jackets, to really amazing hats and sixties and coats and dresses. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Your Royal Highness, may I present Captain Andrew Parker Bowles? Hello, Andrew. Your Royal Highness. What are you staring at? At you. No. And how much you... I advise you to choose the next word very carefully. Flat. Oh, you mean the dress. It's the Queen's. I look like a hydrangea. No, no, I mean... Uh, developed. <laughs> Grown up. Evidently, I've gone from invisible to visible. No, you were, you were always visible. But somehow you'd never seen me. Now we'll hear from someone I've been dying to meet, Princess Anne herself, actor Erin Doherty. I asked Erin about getting the part. I was I was doing a play at the time and I got a phone call from my agent and I was like, oh, okay. I got, I got off the phone and I was like, find the crown. I knew what the crown was, but I had no idea who Princess Anne was. I genuinely was a bit like, I don't know. Which one's she? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> who are we talking about? So I went away and did research on YouTube because there's loads of stuff of her on YouTube. Did you watch her on Morgan? No, I, there was one. It was it. What was it? Was it Wogan or was it Parkinson? I think yeah. it was Parkinson. Okay. She tells a joke at the end of it, basically, and it's the best thing in the world. She's funny. Yeah. I think that's when I like properly fell in love with her because yeah. I was like, I'd never seen, I'd never seen a royal tell a joke. Yeah. I'd never seen it, so I was like, oh, she's there. She is. She's different. Yeah. I I really felt for her as well because I was like, I'd never really. I'd grown up and I wasn't really aware of the royal family. They were just kind of there. Mm-hmm. I I didn't expect to have this strong reaction so I went in for my first meeting in January and I found out I got it at the end of April so it was like a a long long period of time yeah (laughs) it was not relaxing but um yeah I was very very relieved that it went my way it's been great talking to all your colleagues about you as well whether it be Jane Lapater you know grabbing the cigarette out the ashtray all that kind of that was her she was like now do you think she'd smoke and I was like I've never really thought about it and she was like I think you should smoke I was like okay come on then Jane let's do it she literally took me she was like we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and I was just happy she just took the reins she made that scene and then there's there's I mean there's so many moments we could I could literally name them all but there's even bits where it's she doesn't there's, she doesn't say anything. It's just a noise sometimes. Yes. But that says so much more than words could say almost, yeah. you know, in terms of a disdain for something. This is what or, I mean. Yeah. I've never played anyone like this woman. Like, I honestly, like, I love it. I love the scenes. Like, when I get the scripts through and everything, I love those group scenes where I know I have no lines because I'm like, this is great for me. It's like a free-for-all for, like, <laughs> eye rolls and grunts. And you know she's going to be doing it. 
So I'm like, bring it on. I love those scenes. What about the voice? That was, well, the first time I searched Which her and watched a YouTube. Genius. <laughs> yeah. it's, is it easy to do? No. Okay. Like, it took me a long time. Like, it's, I've never heard anyone speak like this. She doesn't move her She doesn't move her lips at all. Josh always always laughs at me for this. He's like, oh, we're going to do a scene. No, no, no. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, Josh. She doesn't move it. She doesn't move her lips. Like, he takes piss out of me all the time. And I'm like, I'm, I'm being Anne. It's such a low... It doesn't, basically, it doesn't feel natural. You can see the kind of odd control that yeah. she's, like, got over this voice. So it's, in a way, when I do it, it gets me into her psychology because yeah. it makes me really angry, basically, to put it bluntly. Like, whenever I do it, I feel really, like, controlled and really, like, I'm going to explode, I want to scream or I want to do something, but you just can't. Mm. And it's kind of like the epitome of the royals. Like, she has to be this way. You can feel that she has something else to say, but she's not allowed to do it. So yeah. it manifests in this weird, swallowed, low, not moving lips voice. Yeah. And I love it. It's like its own character for me. Like it was the it was the key to getting into her and to yeah. understanding her. So I feel like you can tell a lot about someone by the way they speak. Mm-hmm. So I was like, right, well, that's all I need to know then. I can see perfectly clearly who you are and what this is. And I can assure you I'm not going to get hurt. Now, what's it going to be? A resumption or a cessation? Of what? A resumption. Fine. Where'd you get it from at your age? What? Oh, come on. Confidence. I'm not confident, dear. Just tough. How important are all those other departments as well, be it, you know, your Amy and costume and Kate and makeup and the props and all that kind of thing? How important is all that to have this kind of, I kind of refer to it as like almost like a toy box of things and and kind of tools to help? It's, It's everything. It's everything. They've built Buckingham Palace. Like the whole of the outside of Buckingham Palace is like there with a big massive green screen. You're like, okay someone's done that like mm. Christ and then you yeah you go to a costume fitting and Amy and Sid are there and they've they've built these suits and dresses from scratch and you're just like this is these these people are incredible and the fact that they have all taken so much time mm. and put in so much effort to do their job as best they can it's the most inspiring thing you just want to be part of the team we had a lovely chat with Amy. She um, she was very sweet and she talked so, so highly of you um, and told us a great story about cashmere. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> Have you ever worn cashmere? Jesus. I had never worn it. Oh, my God, I was in the costume fitting. They were like, right, okay, let's try this one. They didn't, they didn't preempt it. They just, it was very casual. I was like, okay, fine, blue jumper, whatever. Put it on. I lost my mind. It like slid on to my body. I was like, what is this heavenly material? It was amazing. And it was a turtleneck as well. Oh, nice. I know. So I was like just covered in it. I was like, this is amazing. I can't not ask you about the hair as well. And what what does that involve? She is that hair. That hair is her. They are one. It's a magnificent thing. But it is like... It's a magnificent thing to have to wear, though. Well, when it's on, great. When I'm doing the scenes, great. The process of getting it done 
is so intense. Okay, talk me through it. Well, you just can't... So, like, most of the time you rock up to set and it's, like, five in the morning and you sit down and they just start backcombing your hair. <laughs> Honestly, backcombing, like like it's no tomorrow and then sometimes they'll put rollers in and then sometimes there might be a piece or sometimes that's that's it but then they have to like smooth it into this like crazy lion mane it's like a sculpture it's honestly and you just have to sit there have coffee it takes hours it takes hours episode eight dangling man where you know it's it's that kind of weird entwined mess yeah. that's going on and stuff and yeah. I love I didn't even know all that stuff about Anne and Andrew Parker Bowles. I had no it's idea like, this is saucy I know but then at the same time I'm like come on of course like look at her yeah. like for one like she's gonna want to go out and like have a good time she's a teenager basically yeah. she's just wanting to throw stuff at a wall see what breaks see what people say about it for starters like yeah what are you gonna do yeah. like I think she's just so she's just willing to make a mess and see what her family have to say about it. Because I don't think many people... I think she sees her brother so frightened about the response of these people. Mm. And she's a bit like, well, come on. Like, they are also human beings. She's just so willing to push people to their limits. Yeah. How was it? The candlelit dinner. Come on, there are no secrets in this place. Lovely. Thank you. Camilla Shand, eh? Yes. You're seeing her ex, Andrew. Not sure you can call what we're doing seeing. Not sure you can call him an ex, either. Camilla told me. He's definitely an ex. Hmm. Just make sure things remain the right way round. Us playing with Camilla and Andrew, not them playing with us. What you've got is these brother and sister who are each other's kind of soundboards for their life because they don't have that relationship with their parents. Yeah. So Anne is having to seek out her brother saying, look, don't get yourself into a tiz here. Like, you need to know what this is. And I think it's especially weird because she's in the relationship that's making it so entangled. So the fact that she's saying, look, here's the situation. Whilst on the other side of things, she's going out or having a good time with Andrew. It just highlights, it highlights the weirdness of this family. Because I, don't, I think Anne, ultimately, she puts, she puts her brother first and she's going, look, I know this is going to be weird for both of us, but you just, I don't want you to get hurt. So it, it's great for me because it, it's also a really... It's, it's an honest moment of showing how much she values her brother and her brother's feelings over how awkward that conversation would actually be. And how much Charles trusts her. Yeah, I think they really do have a special relationship. Kind of, it had to be created because of that lack of parental mm. support. Yeah. It, again, when whenever you see these people's fragility and real just absolute care for each other mm. it takes you back because you don't see these people you you don't see their heart because they're just they're this stone family but the moment you give them heart is really important i think and mm. you get to do that with anna child will you be um will you be sad to leave Anne behind yeah like it's something that i haven't 
I don't, and I don't think I will think about until it happens mm. because one, you kind of, there's so much going on that you physically can't. But also, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to let go of her because she's, one, she's meant so much for me in terms of my life and what she's given me. But also, as a character, like I say, I've, I've never played anyone like her before in my life. Mm. And she's taught me so much about the woman I want to be, the human that I, I want to be and, and what I value in, in human beings. Mm -hmm. She's genuinely, I think, just made me a better person. So to think about letting her go and going that deep into another character, whatever it may be, is a sad one. Yeah. It, that's a sad thought. You must be so thrilled, though, with the response that you in particular have, because so many people have been kind of pulling out your performance and the kind of the presence that you've you've really kind of real impact that you've had you've got to be chuffed about it i yeah i in a way it, it sounds really cheesy but i'm kind of i'm just chuffed for Anne. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so glad that like people are saying these things about her because yeah. that's kind of what i'm most happy about is that hopefully people see her in and have seen her in a new light because i think she's i think she's really bloody brilliant and like especially for her to be on our screens in this day and age, for mm. women in particular, I think it's just it's just really wicked. I'm Edith Bowman, and my special thanks to our guests on this episode: Erin Doherty, Amy Roberts, and Sam Donovan. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and Something Else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join us next time when we go behind the scenes of Episode Nine, when Prince Charles gets some poignant life advice from Wallace Simpson. I'm sorry not to see your girlfriend. She's picking me up after this. We're spending the evening together before I return to Dartmouth, but don't tell anyone. It's a secret. She's not official yet. Is she the one? Yes. I think so. Then if I may offer two pieces of advice. Never turn your back on true love. Despite all the sacrifices and all the pain, David and I never once regretted it. Thank you. And the second? Watch out for your family. Well, they mean well. No, they don't. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.